Hey, Gabriel Blake. Hey, Gabriel Jose. Where are we today? I am on my couch in the same place as 95% of our podcasts. <laughs> and I'm in my working chair as almost 95% of the podcast. I think that one day I should actually just change location, just record from the restroom. I keep telling myself I'm going to move to the armchair, and I don't. It's just like habit when I set up the, like, the mic and the tablet. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but talking about habits, uh, what did we watch today? This was my pick, um, and although this podcast episode will air after the spooky holiday of Halloween, we decided to watch The Exorcist. One, because it's a great fucking movie, as we remember. Maybe our opinion has changed, Twitter. <laughs> I'm not saying. You, you in Chicago had the opportunity to see it in a movie theater. Yeah, no, that's true. And I think that is a great pick. I always like it. It's when people ask me about a good horror movie, I always have the temptation of saying that it's like, hey, this is a good horror movie. We have like a different criteria for saying something is good when it's of that genre. It's a bit more like the, the bar lowers. But with the exorcist, I think that is usually one that I say is like, this is a good movie. That it happens to be horror. It was actually the very first horror film to ever be nominated for Best Picture. I wonder if the second one was Get Out. Mind me. <laughs> uh, I think that you're thinking about no. Uh, get out is fine. Uh, oh, but I was uh, thinking about no. You know me so well. Yeah. <laughs> get out is fine. I can't. I forgot that was nominated for best picture, and it won best uh, script, script, right? Yeah. And the script is fine. You know, it's a bit more on your nose, but you know, whatever. It's fine. Um, so yeah, as this was your pick, I guess that I will have to summarize it. I was really looking forward to see it on the big screen and even told one of my friends about like, dude, I'm really excited to see this because I watched it like three, four times, never on the big screen. I never had the chance of doing this. Now, there was a bit of a problem. That is that this theater was probably the worst theater experience that I had so far in Chicago. Not because the cinema was like falling apart or anything, but it was a cinema called the Patio Theater that it was turned into a concert hall. So we were seeing basically the movie from a mile away, and the speakers were only one directional from the stage towards the audience. So you didn't have like lateral ones, you didn't have like good quality of the sound. So I may have missed some stuff, so sorry in advance. It's it. also a bummer because um, the sound design is such a big part of this film that I feel like you would have probably been better off seeing it <laughs> at uh, home. But yeah, I, yeah, I didn't have time. I was like planning on maybe oh, no. rewatching it at home, but it's like I, it was impossible. So uh, let me just do a summary. Uh, the story opens with uh, we discovered later that it's a priest. But it's like an archaeologist, like just uh, like doing some digging, uh, looking for artifacts and the likes in a priest, Iraq. Yeah, priest, a priest. Yeah, that we discovered it's a priest later on. Is that, I don't think. Who was the actor? I don't remember. Max von Sydow, the Ingmar Bergman great. Well, He's in you... every Ingmar Bergman film. <laughs> you know how I feel about Ingmar Bergman, so let's just leave it. It was an old guy. Yeah. Uh, so 
we discovered uh, he finds like several artifacts and one of them is like the music is telling us that it's like there is something wrong with this one that is like a small head of a devil uh he takes it to a an specialist that he can actually like evaluate you know like what is the uh the uh, the deal with it i don't remember what he says i couldn't actually understand it well for one and, and i'm gonna call this out because I wondered if you caught any meaning from this, but when they discover the devil head, the devil head is incredibly ancient, but it's also with a medallion from like the 13th yeah. century. Like they didn't make sense to be together. So I just wanted to ask you if you caught anything about that. And I think the guy just says that this is the head of a devil and they give the name of the devil. I can't remember what it is, but nothing, nothing serious. You're just yeah. supposed to understand there's something evil that they don't. Yeah, know. yeah, the music, the music is pretty on your face, you know. And he starts seeing strong stuff, you know, like weird stuff, like going on, getting like a bit surprised about like uh, cars that are coming like his ways. He starts like, getting a bit dizzy, and then he ends up in a, a scene where he actually looks at a statue of the devil with a huge boner. And, and he has to take pills. They don't explain why. He seems to have oh, yeah. heart. Yeah, heart issue, yeah. And that he's frail. Wink, he's frail. wink. Just keep in mind. Keep in mind about this. Um, so uh, the story jumps from there to Georgetown, where we're introduced to a mother that is an actress, that she lives there with her daughter in a really nice house. They have, like, servants and everything. It's, um, it's Boston, right? Is it Boston? No, it's Georgetown. Georgetown, that's what it is. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they saw sometimes like New York too. Uh, but yeah, like the movie introduces in a very organic way. Almost if it was a drama, I like that it's like, hey, it doesn't feel like to force. It feels like a movie from the 70s. How they like develop a bit more, like the daughter, like the relationship that they have. And they start hearing noises in the house the daughter start like behaving like a bit weird uh weird this is yeah she's an imaginary friend you know like the usual one two three of uh every horror movie with kids no but this was the first one yeah this was the first one i will accept it you know and it's it's done in a way that is not that in your face it doesn't feel like an overuse format because what i think that it is actually good and i was thinking about the descent i was mentioning this to you is that the descent tries to give some kind of background to the characters but you don't really care too much about them i think that this movie is like way better written that is not too much of a background is like we know that the priest like we're also introduced to a priest that is a younger one and he has like some kind of i mean he used to be a boxer I think, and he's taking care of his mother that lives in Brooklyn, so he goes like from time to time to visit her, like from uh, Georgetown, that is close to Washington DC. To uh... and he's a Harvard trained psychiatrist. Oh, okay. I missed that part on the thanks to the audio. They so Ellen Burstein says, how did a psychiatrist become a priest? And he says, actually, it's the other way around. The church paid for me to go to Harvard and learn to become a, learn to become a psychiatrist. And huh? he is a psychiatrist for other priests. That's his job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, basically, it gets to a point that the daughter starts behaving in a very violent, weird way. It's still not 
possess quote unquote they're still like exploring so we have like many scenes where they take it to the doctor they do tests you know but nothing is you know like completely definitive proof that what is going on so she gets to a point of just desperation when the daughter starts behaving like weirder and more weird stuff starts happening around the house that she talks with a friend of hers that is a priest and tries to just tell her that I think that my daughter is possessed uh, and then she connects her sorry he connects her with this young priest for just like exploring is that is this really like a possession case they talk a bit about like a, what is like the usual process they need to prove that this is a possession for actually just being able to uh, interfere and then they end up involving the priest that we saw in the opening scene for just doing an exorcism and the funny thing is that I I thought that the exorcisms per se would actually take like half through the movie but it's not it's like at the the act four out of five is like yeah. pretty towards the end it's a bit more about like hey the exorcist like just is two scenes of the two priests with the uh, with the devil and then actually just spoiler alert but this movie is like just almost 50 50 is from 73 the priest dies like the old priest because he also he he can take the the pill or he doesn't or what does it happen because he tries to take it they they take a break yeah yeah he goes to the bathroom to take one of his pills and then they start again and it's just too much for him and he doesn't have time to take another pill or something oh yeah yeah that's right they fall on the ground and then the devil tries to take over the younger priest but then he jump out through the window and he commits suicide for just like killing killing the devil with him and the little girl is safe and that's it in the end uh there are like many many iconic scenes that everyone will recognize it was funny that people were like taking out their phones for just like taking pictures when the priest arrives to the house and it's foggy it's like yeah everyone recognized this freaking scene or when the music so iconic is sounding is that yeah everyone recognized this or the daughter like comes down like from the stairs like on their back that is still like pretty impressive that they did a scene like that in 73. there were um Sorry, are you done with the synopsis? I think so. I mean, it, what it's so, a straightforward plot. I mean, yeah, but I once again I will reinforce that I love the uh, how slice of life, how they decided to add like a lot of slice of life moments. That I think that modern cinema usually take that as an ellipse of a we don't need this. If the, the point is scaring people is that we don't need to develop characters. We don't need to give like a, they have a life outside of whatever bad is happening. It, it was interesting because it was kind of like the frog in the boiling water. Yeah. Because like, I feel like modern horror, there's just like, everything's normal. And then all of a sudden everything is bad. Yeah. And this was just like, Hey, Slow. things are getting Slow. weirder and weirder and weirder and escalating little by little. There's not like a moment where it's like, oh my god, she's possessed. Fuck. Well, I mean, when she goes down the stairs, like walking on her back, he's like, yeah, probably she's possessed. I, I will say, I think this has one of the most... I don't know why this disturbs me so much, but um, so Ellen Burstein, who plays the mom, um, which, by the way, I read that the studio Warner Brothers was like, this is a good script, but you cannot hire 
anybody that already has a career because it could ruin it. So they had to hire unknowns. So we have the exorcist to thank for Ellen Burstein's entire career. Oh, wow. Uh, so she's having a party and the young girl, what's her name? Oh, yeah. Uh, it was, uh, sorry, I, I have it like this in front of me. Uh, Riga? Reagan, yeah. So um, Reagan has gone to bed. There's just a few stragglers singing around a piano. The priest, just... the priest is the one playing the piano at that point. The yeah. friend, the the friend, not the yeah, not the So she walks down the stairs in her nightgown, and she seems to be in a trance. And she says to one specific man, "You're going to die." To die yeah. And then she just starts to pee, standing there onto the carpet. And I don't know why, but that's such. They don't make it very dramatic. They just show what's happening, and it's horrifying to me. Yeah. Well, because you know where this is going, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bit more about like the premonition. Or it's like, hey, this is called the Exorcist. It's not called like Adventures of a Single Mom of a Single Actress Mom. <laughs> you know that it is like a, a turn to the worst. Uh, but yeah, that scene is is pretty. Is, I agree with you about like the slow burn of things. Most movies, most horror movies, they don't want to take the time. On factually, like just doing this development, you know, this is low development. They're a bit more, it's like, okay, yeah, now the serial killer starts killing everyone, or you know, like whatever kind of supernatural thing that start like just happening, like full steam. There is not this full burn, you know, like a slow burn about, like, hey, how would a normal person, a normal mother, behave in a situation like this? You know, like uh, just uh, try to rationalize uh, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she doesn't believe in it, but she's like, something is beyond explanation here. It's yeah, is the science is not going to help me, so I'm willing to explore anything right now. Uh, I have to say, there was a scene that I was missing, you know, and uh, my boyfriend told me, I, I was this with my boyfriend on the cinema, he was telling me that uh, maybe there was like a director cut or whatever, maybe there have been like several edits of this movie, because I could swear... Okay, I was sure that there were like multiple, that there were like two scenes on the railway train, on the subway. One towards the beginning, another one like through the half of the movie. But maybe I dreamt it because I had the feeling that another time that I watched this movie, I also felt that hey, there isn't a scene that is basically here. Maybe you saw The Exorcist 2 or 3? No. No? No, I didn't. But no, I don't know why I thought that it was because uh, on the first scene we see the young priest. The, the subway is the New York subway, and it's as dirty and as ugly in '73 as it is in 2019. That is the last time that I was in New York. in 2020. Don't that it was the last time that I was in New York. What? Don't pick on poor New York subway. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible, but it has its charm because we've seen it in so many movies that it's like, sure, whatever, it works. Um, but on that scene, we see him talking with a homeless person, like the John Priest, and we're left to interpret that it's like, hey, this homeless person may be a vehicle for the devil. Hmm. I'm you, Yeah. And uh, there are like several moments, as you were saying, that it can be like a very disturbing movie. I don't know if we were talking this on the podcast or before about like the the uh, people were like, really traumatized by this movie but it's, uh, I think that it's also one of the first movies that they use this kind of subliminal image kind of 
you know, approach. There are like at least one photogram that is like for half a second of the devil face, or you know, like a very, very disturbing face, like first, you know, like pretty close up to it on the screen. But there are other points. I remember like the first time that I watched it, I felt like really disturbed. When she goes to the uh, to the kitchen and there is like something going on with the lights in the house, and she's supposed to be alone only with the doctor in the house, and there is a reflection. I don't know if it was on the fridge or on the, uh, how do you say, like uh, on the structure, on the funny structure on top of the, uh, of the of the stove. And we see like a weird face for a second there. Oh, interesting. I missed that. Oh, yeah, that's super iconic. I remember like, the first time that I saw it, that I went back on the movies like, did, that, did, that, did I dream that or I, did I do suggest myself? And I can imagine there's like people watching it on the cinema that they cannot rewind the movie about like just feeling like, holy shit, did that happen or not? And just creating that kind of atmosphere of, you know, like not the intensity is not there yet, but there has been enough signs for just knowing something really bad is about to happen. Yeah, I think it's interesting because for whatever reason I read pretty extensively through this movie's um, Wikipedia page and there was all sorts of information about like theaters had to hire ambulances to be on standby <laughs> and like people fainted. There was an interview with somebody at the at a theater that said our bathroom is just smells horrible because people vomit all the time. People fainted. A woman had a miscarriage while watching it in a theater. And I was I've actually been meaning to ask my husband this because we've been watching older films and I was like, did people just used to faint a lot more? Like, when is the last time you saw somebody faint? But like, there's all these reports that it happened in the 70s and in every movie that was made before 1980, a woman faints in it. Yeah. Mm, I I think that it was more like like the fashion, you know, at that time. Like fainting, now it's a bit passé, I would say. (laughs) But back then, fainting was something that you could do for just like being cool, for just catching attention. Now you could be doing a TikTok, is that then they would actually faint. So because so many people freaked out, it caused a bunch of psychiatrists, a group of psychiatrists to publish a paper. Oh, I'm going to get the, the term wrong, but they called it like cinema-induced uh, psychosis. <laughs> and they used this film as, um, you know. As like a sample. Examination, yeah, because like this film was having an effect. Oh, and it was interesting. People were lining up. There, it was a very limited release at first, but people were lining up in like negative ten degree weather in New York to see this for hours and hours. And the New York Times went and interviewed some of the people standing in line, and one of the people they interviewed was a very young William Hurt. Okay, that's interesting, right? Yeah, no, definitely. That's sure. It's a coincidence. He was an actor already. I don't think so. I think he was studying in New York at the time, because this was 72. And... 72, 72. Didn't he die recently? Yeah, on uh, the 13th of March. Yeah, yeah. I'm just checking. No, his first movie is from 80, from 80, 80. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Maybe this is what actually just convinced him that he wanted to be an actor. I want to be an actor. <laughs> I want to make people puke. So they re-released this film in 2000, was it 2000, 2002? They released it in theaters again and they called it The Exorcist, the version you've never seen. 
Um, oh, and there was this big discussion among critics about whether it would have the same effect on audiences because this is the first time anything like this had been shown in the theater. And in fact, there was a scandal because they believed in Warner Brothers paid off the MPAA because the film should have had an X rating, but they wanted it to be seen widely, and so they gave it an R rating, which allowed children to see it with they were with their parents. Mm. Um, and I was I read all this before I watched the more explicit scenes of The Exorcist. But then when you see a twelve-year-old girl violently masturbating with a crucifix, I'm like, oh, maybe children shouldn't be seeing this. No, this is not a this is not a family-friendly you know kind of movie uh i just sent you a link where they actually have like a if you open it you'll be like just really fast you will see like the kitchen is seen that i'm talking about um while i open this so i grew up mormon in a small yeah. rural idaho town where we didn't really watch rated our movies but i went to somebody's house on a double date so two guys two girls and the girl i was on a date with was kind of a delicate little flower oh my god she got so scared by this movie, she made me take her home. <laughs> After the movie. During the movie. Oh. Like, nope, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Did they? Oh, it was in Idaho. It was not in Utah. I was like surprised that they would actually allow it. Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry. Got it. Sorry. Got it. Yeah, sorry. Tear outings. We had to take like an unexpected break for Sona. <laughs> like unexpected interruptions so please like so yeah what i was saying is these critics were like discussing is this going to have the same effect because films have dramatically changed and at that point it would have been what 28 years um audiences are desensitized and yeah nobody fainted but people still report this to be an extremely just I hesitate to use the word disturbing because for me that's like gore porn, like cabin fever um, or saw, something like that. But it's disturbing more in a like psychological hey, level. Yes, exactly. Uh, this girl's like peeing in front of a party and then saying somebody's gonna die. Like that, that sort of disturbing. Not like, hey, I had to cut my hand off to get out of handcuffs. <laughs> well, I was thinking the disturbing part. It'd be more like about the very explicit scenes I see masturbating yep. with uh, with the crucifix. Uh, what does it say? Like, look at your canty daughter. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's one where the, I think the priests are in the room, and Ellen Burstein is, and she Reagan lifts up her her nightgown and says in a creepy voice, "Fuck me! Fuck me!" Fuck me! And just to hear a twelve-year-old girl like I—it's genuinely shocking to this day, to me at least. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. It is still like a bit more. It's like, wow, this this girl is like she she really was a twelve-year-old at that point. Doing this is not that anyone like you know like double record this scene for her or anything. Like she's that actress. Um, so Warner Warner Bros. offered this script to Mike Nichols, who directed closer and wit and oh, well. yeah. he said no because he didn't believe there was a 12 year old out there that could carry this film and then william friedkin signed on they found reagan who was a model at the time she was like a children's model not an actress and her mom brought her in to talk to william friedkin and 
he was like this is just like a totally normal girl she's cute she's not beautiful she's just like a normal 12 year old and i think you can see that realism in her performance at first it's like hey you should be acting but no she just comes across as like a normal a normal kid yeah yeah. i mean i think that is impressive from the perspective that you believe that transition you believe like she's succumbing to this evil power and just turning into this crazy creature you know uh yeah it definitely is that the acting is from decent to a stellar ellen burstein particularly and i think did she win the oscar so it was nominated for eight oscars and it only won two one of them was for sound which is a pity that you couldn't hear this out. It was, yeah, it was pretty so far. Um, but yeah, I think this really shocked everyone. Critics, audiences, studios, award shows. Um, but it's, it's, okay, should we go over the questions? Because I was going to be like giving away all the questions. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, so would you watch it again? Yeah. Yeah, I would also watch it again. I was like planning on watching it like these days, but I didn't have like the bandwidth or just like trying to get a bit more of the uh, of the conversation that I may have this. Would you recommend it? Yes, with reservations. Like I wouldn't tell my grandma to watch this, even though she'd be fine. I would feel uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, no, 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 I would recommend it to most people. Would yeah, you I wouldn't. <laughs> to my parents, no. <laughs> to my parents, I think that this a new question. Would I recommend this to? <laughs> Not to my parents, but I would recommend it to anyone that asks me about a horror movie. I would recommend it. You know, it's not that specific as that, hey, would you recommend this as a movie about exorcists or anything, or that it has like, it's from the seventh? No, it's horror movie. The exorcist, you have to watch it. And the thing is that there are so many horror movies that I have the feeling that I don't think about the exorcist that much anymore. And it's not because it's, it's no longer good. You know, that time has put it in its place. It's more like, I just consider it a, a movie, you know, not a horror movie per se. Yeah, I agree. I We often say it's good for a superhero movie or good for a horror movie. This is just a good movie. And it's interesting because I conflate Rosemary's Baby and this movie in my head all the time. And I don't know why. I don't know. I don't think just... I well, we had this conversation last week. I think when we're going to be like this. <laughs> uh, would you remember it? Yeah, after after this viewing, it kind of solidified the gaps that I had. I, I feel like I remembered it pretty well, but after this, I'm like, okay, I'm a 38 year old man that's committed this to memory. At this point. <laughs> I uh, I remember like like the general, you know, like a story like so many scenes that they are like super iconic extremely iconic uh i remember the uh like the look at your county daughter i remember it in spanish because i think that i only watched it in english once before and i watched it in spanish like two or three times that in spanish they say it's like look at what your naughty daughter does <laughs> how did they translate stick your cock in her ass <laughs> i don't think that they say polla I don't remember what they say, but uh, it's, it's pretty explicit. It's like the dialogue is like, a 12-year-old in 73 was forced, I mean, was paid for saying this. Is that that's, I don't know, that's pretty avant-garde. I think make this movie today, I think people would freak the fuck out having a 12-year-old do these things. No, I'm, I'm, 
masturbating with a crucifix? It's like I do you remember that it was with Benedetta I, I was, was <laughs> with Benedetta I was like, dude, this is gratitude. And he's just looking for soft value, but it's like the exorcist is like it doesn't I'm not going to say that it's classy, you know, because it's not a point like trying to be classy. <laughs> but there is a point for it. It's part of a larger story, it's not the soft value. And I think that this actually simplifies what I think that Paul Verhoeven is just a provocator. This is not a pick on Blake's favorite movies session. Let's move on with a question. You've you've shit on the descent. You've shit on Benedict. Uh, is there anything artistic about it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Ellen Burstyn's. I'm probably saying her name wrong. I don't know how to say it. I think her performance is remarkable. Reagan's performance is very good. The rest, I feel, are this is solid, not huh. great. Um, I read a lot about the sound design, but even though I have 7.1 surround sound, streaming it on HBO Max, I don't think gave me the most optimized audio experience. Um, and Do you know, solid writing. And like you said, the slice of, slice of life thing, like making it feel really real. Yes, there's a lot that's artistic about that. Yeah, I think that... Uh the visual design too you know about like that using like the visual cues for just like helping building the uh, uneasiness on the audience you know and the special effect is like, i i don't know if i would call it like artistic artistic but it's still pretty impressive you know that it's 50 years old and it doesn't feel aged is that, that there is like a testimony for actually just like being completely out of time from that perspective. Yeah, think... it feels a little bit like a modern period piece from the 70s versus a movie that came from the 70s. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, it's almost like the... Uh... <laughs> well, you know that it will happen. It would be like a Stranger Things if they would have to do it like nowadays. It would be like way more bland, family-friendly, and probably with a lot of product placement from the 70s for just saying like, it's the 70s. I was just thinking like, this is like the actual 70s that were pretty fucking cool and not like Quentin Tarantino's idea of what the 70s were like. <laughs> Nobody dressed the way. <laughs> true, true, you know, but it's like he knows and we know we're all on the same page with Tarantino that is like, hey, you are selling me a fantasy. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. Uh... But uh, this actually connects like pretty well to the if it's a timeless piece. For me, I'm going to be the first. It is because of what I was saying. It's, like, it's fucking 50 years old, and it doesn't feel like it. And I think that we could actually just watch it like 30 years in the future, and we'll have the same feeling about this movie. Yeah. About like, like this, this is good. Yeah. And the topic, you know, that they're like talking about is like the mother law for the daughter you know like the possession part is a sure whatever but uh it's a bit more about like the kind of extent that she would go for it were you a fan of the story of the john priest and the mother not particularly i mean it served a, a purpose during the exorcism when yeah. adopts the voice of the mother but i i was like this doesn't not much of the young priest's story i felt added anything Mm. I agree. I just feel that like this is character development. I would accept it, you know, and it just gives like some kind of motivation about like why he falls victim of the devil because of that weakness that he has, that guilt that he has. 
And so I read that they stayed pretty faithful to the book. Um, obviously, they had to cut out a lot, but they stayed true to the story. And I suspect there was a lot more about that priest um, mm. in the book. Yeah, that makes sense. Would you turn this into a TV show? I think that they had a... Yep. I wouldn't, like, this is a pretty ugly world to inhabit, and I don't see the purpose in sticking around for, I don't know, 8, 10, 20 hours per mm-hmm. or two. Um, I just feel like if they stretched it out and had multiple possessions, I don't know what they did, but it just wouldn't be as interesting. No, as I was saying earlier, I wish that the exorcist part lasted longer, but the movie is not really about the exorcist in itself, per se. It builds up to that, but it's like I don't think that is like the key motif. I think that it's a bit more about like the the fall of the daughter and just like getting worse and worse than how the mother like deals with that situation. And then there is an exorcist, and then she gets better, but it's not so much about it, and I don't know if you could actually have a TV show and that it has like so much build up for a 20 minute scene. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, could this have been a short? I don't think so. In my opinion, it needed that slow burn we talked about. Yeah. Otherwise, it would lose its effectiveness, in my opinion. They would have yeah. to cram so much and try and build tension in such a short. I mean, we talked about how a short is less than 60 minutes, so if it was 59 minutes, maybe they could do it. <laughs> I used to think that it would be like to rush even with 59, 59 minutes. I it think like it's long, right? It's like two hours and 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's a movie that is like, it takes its time and it doesn't feel like too long. You know, it feels like, hey, look, it's, it's like the dynamic that it has. And it's like, it, it actually, I never felt, I mean, I had to say that if I got to a point that it was like, look, this audio sucks. I want this to be over but it was not the movie itself fault it was a bit more about like the theater in question so I didn't feel like it was slow or anything I just felt is that this is perfect length for what it's trying to just portray it's funny that I just had that same experience but with live theater that the audio was so bad I was like maybe the musical is good I don't know <laughs> uh, do you think this movie could have been better Nothing nothing obviously stands out. I'm sure the answer is yes, but I'm going to say no. There's not like any glaring problems that I would be like, I want that fixed. Yeah, I'm going to go with no, too. We mentioned that the story of the priest is not the strongest part of the young priest, but at the same time, it actually fulfills a purpose on the overarching narrative. So from that perspective, it's like, I couldn't remove it. Maybe there is another way of writing it a bit better, but it doesn't hurt it. It doesn't hurt like the overall uh, narrative. I think that this is a movie that with this topic at hand, I think that is the best thing that you can do with it. So. Uh, cool. So before we score, I'm going to be asking you, do you remember a movie? I thought about this like recently. I almost asked you to watch one more movie by this director, but can you tell me what did you remember about Annette? Oh, nothing. Nothing at all. I mean, it was rock opera, Adam Driver, 
Adam Driver has a kid named Matt. With whom? I don't know. I don't remember who he had a kid with, but the kid is named Annette. And Annette has an insane voice, and she becomes a child star. Annette is a puppet. Yeah, no. I don't even remember a puppet. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember really liking that movie. (laughs) Do you remember who is the director? It's, isn't it Lios Carax? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it was Marion Cotillard. played the kid that was that sang oh no it was a puppet it only turns real at the end okay that's the scene i can see her final concert when she's singing she's like she sings like multiple times because the uh, after the death of the mother because uh, uh adam driver kills the mother if i recall correctly is that then he starts exploiting the daughter for singing and they start like just touring with her because he has an amazing voice. That I remember amazing voice. He kind of not forces, but he's like a stage mom that runs yeah. her career. Yeah, uh, a musician, right? A failed. She was an. No, he was a comedian. He was a comedian. Yeah, but not good at it. Like he would say shocking things. <laughs> he would say shocking things. So it was a bit. It was a bit. A bit on the face, you know, like the messages of uh, Leo Carax about, like, yeah, this might be too kind of thing, you know, uh, views about, like, how in society we accepted, like, this kind of toxic male, you know, like, behavior as something normal when it's actually something dangerous that we shouldn't be encouraging. It's so interesting because if I was an actor and Leo's Carax decided to do another film and he sent me the script and it was bad, I would still do it. I want to work with Leo's Carax. I was going. I almost suggested to uh, to watch uh, Holy Motors because they were playing it at the Genesis Club, and I think it would be interesting to talk about it. Just leave it like that. What? What? <laughs> I think there is on the list to watch. Um, so should we? I'm going to go with no. You didn't remember it. Yeah, I I remember well. I remembered some things, not not that much. I didn't remember there was a puppet, so the answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a bit of an iconic part of the movie. That is like, holy shit, the kid is a puppet. Uh, the uh, should we uh, score uh, the Exorcist then? Yes. So this was your pick. I have no, score. it was your pick. Sorry, sorry. That's why. Oh, it was. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so I had to score it first. I'm a bit torn because I think that partially my score is going to be influenced by the experience that I had at that theater, that it was like pretty super and frustrating. But I still recognize that this is a really, really good movie. I'm going to go with an eight. So I, am, I had picked 8.5. Um, this was a tough one to score for me I, because I do think it's a great movie, but when you compare it to like La Ventura, <laughs> How good is The Exorcist compared to Love <laughs> Dude, I had to feel it that the only thing that they share is that they can both be projected on my screen. <laughs> That's the only thing in common between these two movies. I, I did want to ask you one question that I meant to ask you earlier. I know you didn't like Hereditary that much, but do you feel like Hereditary did the same thing that The Exorcist did in like dedicating time to develop a slice of life and its characters 
No, I think that uh, hereditary derails way earlier, and they embrace the weirdness, and they they want to fester in the weirdness and you know like the supernatural aspect. When the Exorcist is a bit more about like how the supernatural stuff is disruptive about like the normalcy that we have been presented that's the reason why it's so shocking because we are displayed like many normal stuff but we are adding like a weird thing to it you know like and start like increasing more and more until it dominates everything from that perspective i think that is way superior to hereditary okay thank you yeah. so, what so you score? i scored an eight okay. yeah where's your score 8.5 that's good. Uh, I I think that if I were to watch it again with a decent audio experience, maybe I would bump it. You know, it's like I have to just like score it from what I enjoyed, and I can say that this is still, even with very shitty audio, albeit the audio is like one of the strong points, is still a pretty good movie. Perfect, perfect for this Halloween. Good pick, Blake. Good pick. <laughs> <laughs> good job, like good job. <laughs> uh, and as this was your pick, next uh, one, I actually want to go back to see uh, something new wave, something by Godard, uh, and we're going to be talking about a band of outsiders. You liked Breathless that much, huh? I did like Breathless, but we will talk about it on the next podcast. All right. All right. Uh, anything else to say about the Exorcist? Not for me. And anything to say to those four people? Thank you so much for putting up with us. Wash your hands. Yeah, you don't want to end up with the devil in you. <laughs> All right, bye.